0: What we're doing this Sunday and for the next, uh, s- the following six Sundays after after today is we're going to be uh, tackling um, seven, what we've called seven, uh, seven big questions. For those of you who've never been here before, my name's Steph and I'm one of the pastors here too. And um, We're going to be looking at seven big questions. That's what this postcard is about and it will have on there uh, the various things we'll be looking at in the coming weeks. I want to just run through how it's going to work and the, the, the format so you understand, uh, understand the plan. Um, With many of these questions, probably particularly today's question, if God is so good and powerful, why does he allow so much suffering? That's hard to cover in 25 minutes. Um, It won't be exhaustive or comprehensive, and it may well lead to lots more questions. Which is why, what we'd like you to do is, if you have questions while I'm speaking, if you text your questions to that number, um, my friend Simon, well, he's he's got he's got that's not his phone, but he's got he's got a phone, and uh, <laughs> with that number, and uh, it's none of your phones either. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> and and what he'll do, he he will he will field the, he will field your questions, and he will at the end of the message after t- about twenty five minutes, he will then. Um, Bring some of those questions to me. The questions that he thinks are probably going to be most helpful for a corporate setting. There may be some, you know, if, if you text the question in and it doesn't get answered, then I would just ask that you'd come and see me afterwards. Really happy to engage with you on that one-on-one. But Simon's probably going to just do his best to try and pick those that he thinks may be most helpful to, to us all. Uh, and will, so we'll probably do that then for about... Um, 10 minutes of that as well. So we really want to um, create as close as we can to a dialogue for a set this size just to make sure that... Um you get a chance to really go deeper maybe on some of the issues that I raise or maybe there's something I miss completely and you think really we've got to get to that you know And so you want to bring that up that's fine please feel the freedom to do that so uh, you have all freedom to text during the sermon you know absolute freedom to text as much as you like but please try and text to that number and uh, that'd be great Um, you'll notice this little thing this little business card called the obstacle course that's something we run as a church it's just an opportunity to gather in a smaller setting I guess anything up to about ten or so um to talk in more depth about questions you've got. So, you might have heard of the Alpha Course where people that have got some questions or interest in the Christian faith come along and find out a bit more. This is our version, really. So, if you're here and you're either, you know, you're, you might call yourself a Christian, but you've got loads of huge, big questions, questions that are almost becoming obstacles in the way, or you're not quite sure whether you're a Christian or you're clear you're not, but there's some very big obstacles in the way to Jesus as far as you're concerned, please take one of these and uh, go online and uh, file your three questions, register for the course, and then we, we will tackle your exact questions questions in a smaller setting um, the next obstacle course is in March so just to let you know about that um, hopefully that will be uh, helpful for you okay um, I'm quite nervous about this uh, because well obviously you look at the question you know wouldn't you be but um, so I'm going to just pray ask God to help me um, and then and then we're going to we're going to get in there so father thank you for um, the opportunity to be able to uh, engage with this stuff um, I just want to pray, God, that you, you would be so uh, clearly and powerfully with us. Yes. Um, help me as I speak, Lord, to speak in, in ways that really does bring clarity, uh, bring peace, um, bring a se- even bring a sense of uh, f- faith and hope. I do, I do pray for that, Lord. I pray particularly for those who would be here today and just carrying big pain. We just thank you that you are the healer. And we welcome you here, Lord, and we pray that you'd be doing a healing work. Um, Even if you just begin it today, Lord, we know that we always complete what you begin. So we entrust ourselves to you and ask for your help in all that we do. Amen. Okay, now uh, before we get into the stuff, you know, of um, answering the question, I want to get to the heart of something else and just, I guess, maybe ask you a question before we go any further. Maybe if we could have our first slide uh, up here. what I want to ask is, when, you, when we ask this question, if God's so good and powerful, why does he, why does he allow such suffering? Oh, firstly, I guess I want to ask whether you're asking it from this kind of posture. I want to ask you a question... Oh, if this question interests you what kind of spirit or attitude are you asking it out of? I've called this God in the Dock because it's kind of like you take the position whereby you're the prosecutor and God's in the Dock and he has to defend himself and um, I think all I want to say to you if that, actually if as I'm speaking you're thinking yeah that is a bit like me I, uh, that lady looks similar to me uh, <laughs> in some way if, if, you're, if you feel that I just want to say and I want to say to you honestly from the start that I don't think you're going to get much of an answer to your question I think, in fact, what you're going to find is quite a uh, quite deafening silence. Um, it's the same with Jesus. There were times where, when Jesus was walking on the earth, where people would say, "Do a miracle," and Jesus did loads of miracles and healings and stuff. Whenever someone demanded a miracle or a sign from him, he didn't do it. Not once. Why? Well, it was the posture. Of the people that asked him, there was a demanding posture. It's a bit like that indoors sometimes with my kids. Sometimes my kids will begin a conversation, and my response is, "Change the way you talk, or this conversation's not going any further." It's just not happening. I'm not going to engage with you while you're speaking like this, because it's all wrong. You've been alive you know six, eight, 11 years, and I really love you, but you don't know much. Um, I don't know loads, but I've been alive a lot longer. And I'm, you're talking to me like I'm one of your mates in the playground and it, it's not on. And so I say you need to just think through the way you're talking then we can go again. I'm really up for it, engaging with you on this but not not like that. And we just gotta, we just got to watch our hearts in this and make sure that we're not coming from a, a posture of kind of arrogance um, because what you'll find is significant non-responsiveness from God. Um, but then there's this other posture which could be you're feeling the pain, you're aware of suffering, you either read of others suffering, your heart is breaking, or you yourself, in your own life, things have happened and you're carrying heaviness in your heart, you're carrying the burdens like this. There was someone in the Bible who experienced just that, man called Job, you probably heard of him, Job's suffering has become a bit, a, a bit of a catchphrase to describe big suffering, the man lost everything pretty much within a very short period of time, was broken, was utterly confused. And, and as you read through the book of Job in the Bible, you find that he's very honest, brutally honest. He questions, he calls out, he cries out, his friends are telling him, this has happened to you because it's your fault, you must have done something wrong. He's saying, I'm sure I, I, if, if, if I had then I'd admit it, but surely not. And he refuses to throw away his integrity and he keeps, keeps bringing his complaint, if you like, before God. Um, but it's a, broken, it's a brokenness, David. There's a rawness about it, and honestly, but it comes out of a brokenness. And what you find in that situation is that God breaks in and does two things. First of all, God reveals himself in a fresh way there's a revelation of God that comes that makes even this man who's you know covered in sores and lost everything even this man he then says I put my hand over my mouth behold I'm insignificant because suddenly God begins to question him where were you when I created the the earth where were you and and suddenly Job realises that his horizons are so narrow so God reveals himself and Job just sits in wonder and then God restores God restores everything and more. And what I want to say to you is that if you're going to come and ask the questions from that kind of posture, then I've got every hope that there will be a revelation from God and a restoration. That God will heal and restore and do all kinds of wonderful things in your life. So I really want to just start by saying check your own heart in this. And um, yeah, just kind of maybe put that up as a little mirror to your heart at the beginning and just get clear in your own mind where you're coming from there. Um... So I wanted to just start with that before I began, if you like, uh, uh, bringing the biblical perspective on God, his power, his goodness, and the suffering in the world. So we're going to do that in a moment. And the way we're going to do it, we're going to look at four moments of history. Um, Four objective moments in history. We're going to look at look at what the Bible says about those things, and hopefully try and bring together at least the beginnings of some uh, what the Bible teaches about um, suffering, human suffering. So what we're going to start with um, is the next slide, which is this. I've called it God ignored creation. We're going to start at creation. This is an important uh, scripture here from Romans. It says this, God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that we are without excuse. It's quite an important statement, a very big statement there. What's happening there is—is—is the man who wrote this, Paul? He's really trying to get to what's—again, what's in our hearts? You think, well, what's that? What's what is in my heart got to do with the suffering in the world? Well, it really has. And I want us to start in the right place so we get the foundation right. Um, there's this interesting comment, so that we are without excuse. In just a bit before this, Paul, Paul wrote that what, because cre- God, God's, God's um, existence is clear through creation, but what we do is we suppress the truth. There's a suppression that we do by nature. There's something in us that doesn't want God to be true there's something in us that doesn't like the idea of the truth of God when we ran an obstacle course back uh, last year in March we had a great time with some brilliant people who came on uh, on the course some of them highly intellectual and I did my best over those weeks to engage and bring some stuff it got a bit philosophical at times and it really, we really went everywhere you know. and then in the end we got near the end of the course and one of the guys in the course I just said, I just said look if this is true do you want it to be? and I asked him that question and it was a big moment actually because he looked at me and he said, after a bit of a pause, "I'm not sure." And what we were doing, we were moving from the ontological, how can you know? The philosophical, all that, we were moving to the heart, and then we're looking at issues of, do, do you, do you, do you want to know God if He is real? You see, because the Bible teaches that creation, its beauty, its wonder, even the function of it, actually speak louder than human suffering both are there, but we acknowledge absolutely both are there, but there's there's actually one is louder and the other one, suffering does not and should not silence out what is clear when we look around us at creation that's what the Bible teaches, but the question is do we want to listen? or is there an agenda going on? I remember reading a book very recently, an excellent book called God's Undertaker and um, what was, a man was quoted there who was a very famous uh, kind of atheist, um, scientist. And he basically fundamentally said this, I don't want it to be true. I don't want God to be true. Now he wasn't saying that his whole ideas were pinned on that. But he would just say, I want, I want to be honest. And just say, actually it's not just my scientific reasoning. I don't want this stuff to be true. <coughs> now, point number one. The Bible says that creation shows clearly... That there is a God who is powerful and divine, not like us. But do we want to know? Are we interested? Or would we rather not know? I want, want us to start there because it's a really, really important one. Number two, slide number two. God ignored, number one. Number two, God betrayed. Now the Bible teaches that after all of creation was made, all of the creatures, everything, the wonders of the cosmos, the first man and the first woman, that the God said this to them. The Lord God commanded the man was to Adam, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So you start to see some of the dynamics of this relationship here. God creates man, but gives him freedom. He's not got what God doesn't say is here's all the trees, and you're wondering why one of them's got a 12-foot electric fence around it. That's because you can't eat from that one. That's not the case. They are all equally accessible. God just says, not that one, because in the day you eat of it, you will die. And so from day one, the man has freedom. There's a freedom in the heart of God. God gives us freedom. Why? Because that's what love does. Love doesn't imprison. You know when one, if you see a couple together and one is imprisoning the other, you know that relationship is no longer sustainable. Why? It's not love anymore. It's become something else. Possessiveness, envy, it's fear, it's something else. Love gives. And so here you see God's permissive posture. Do what you like. Eat from every tree in the garden, just not that one. Why? Well because in the day you do, you will die. You're not made for that. But it's there because I want you to have the choice. And the choice was made. The man and the woman, they make a bid for autonomy, which is the heart of sin. We want to be God instead. They're tempted with how good the fruit looks and Satan tempts them. If you have that, you'll be just like God. And so they make a bid for autonomy. We want to be just like God. We want to do our own thing. We want to be in charge. We want to be the captain of our destiny. And everything is affected as a result the darkest moment in history their relationship with God goes wrong as soon as they hear the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, they run for cover they hide in the bushes, why? because suddenly the thought of God just fear, shame begins to start ringing in their mind, they've fallen away and then when God calls them out and he says what have you done? and they begin blaming one another because relationship with one another now goes wrong and these two things, relationship with God going sour, relationships with one another going... Th- this, is, this, is the heart of, this is the heart of human suffering. And then it even goes wrong with the environment. In the judgment, God speaks over them. There's even their relationship with creation goes wrong. So everything goes crooked. Which is what the Bible teaches. That's, that's where suffering came in I mean just think for a moment about day to day suffering just not, not the mega stuff but just day to day stuff suffering most of it's to do with relationships the way that person spoke to you the way they didn't speak to you the way they looked at you the way they gossiped about you the way they betrayed you the way they stitched you up the way they hurt you the way they abused you interpersonal pain the Bible traces it all back to this moment where we say, I'm going to do it my way, which, interestingly, is one of the most popular songs at funerals these days. It's just, that's Genesis 3. I'm going to do it my way. I'm not, interested in, not interested in following God. It doesn't sound like fun. And so the Bible teaches, and it's clear, that suffering is an unnatural invasion into creation, it's not part of God's original creation sin came in and suffering and death came in on the back of it this is why we've got an issue with it so you might think I'm crazy You you might listen to me and think how can you say suffering is unnatural it's everywhere I want to ask you a question if it's so natural why do we have such an issue with it why do we know it's not right why are we even here engaging with this something else knows it all not to be this way the most vivid demonstrations of this is funerals But everyone dies, it's the one one universal thing about all of us that have ever been born, that we will die. Why do we react like we do at funerals? What's with the tears? It's so illogical. What's with that sense of, this ought not to be this way? I tell you what it is, it ought not to be this way. (laughs) That death is an intruder in God's creation. So first you see God ignored... And then God betrayed. And then we get to the third thing God betrayed again. Let me read this quote to you. I found this very interesting. It's from a play. At the end of time, billions of people were scattered on a great plain before God's throne. Most shrank back from the brilliant light before them, but some groups near the front talked heatedly, not with cringing shame, but with belligerence. Can God judge us? How can He know about suffering? snapped a young brunette. She ripped open a sleeve to reveal a tattooed number from a Nazi concentration camp. We endured terror, beatings, torture, death. In another group, a young man lowered his collar. What about this, he demanded, showing an ugly rope burn, lynched for no crime but being black. In another crowd, a pregnant schoolgirl with sullen eyes. Why should I suffer, she murmured. wasn't my fault. Far out across the plain there were hundreds of such groups. Each had a complaint against God for the evil and suffering he permitted in his world. How lucky God was to live in heaven, where all was sweetness and light, where there was no weeping or fear, no hunger or hatred. What did God know of all that man had been forced to endure in this world? For God leads a pretty sheltered life, they said. So each of these groups sent forth their leader chosen because he had suffered the most. A Jew, a young black man, a person from Hiroshima a horribly deformed arthritic a thalidomide child. In the center of the plain they consulted with each other. At Last they were ready to present their case. It was rather clever. Before God could be qualified to be their judge he must endure what they had endured. Their decision was that God should be sentenced to live on earth as a man. Let him be born a Jew. Let the legitimacy of his birth be doubted. Give him a work so difficult that even his family will think he's out of his mind when he tries to do it. Let him be betrayed by his closest friends. Let him face false charges. Be tried by a prejudiced jury. Convicted by a cowardly judge. Let him be tortured. At the last, let him see what it means to be terribly alone. Then let him die. Let him die so there can be no doubt that he died. Let there be a great host of witnesses to verify it. As each leader announced his portion of the sentence, loud murmurs of approval went up from the throng of people assembled. And when the last had finished pronouncing the sentence, there was a long silence. No one uttered another word. No one moved, for suddenly all knew that God had already served his sentence. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. I said earlier that Suffering is always the result, one way or the other, of sin. It might not be your, the result of your direct sin, something you've done directly wrong, but you can always all trace all suffering back to the same point. Just think for a moment about the, the, the pain you experience from one sin. Imagine that on the way in on to the building day, I saw you and gave you a nasty look or I said something really. Just unhelpful and nasty to you and vindictive. Think about what you'd be thinking now as you're sitting there listening to me thinking, was, what rights have you got to stand up there nursing your wounds, thinking about how wrong you've been. Think about that one sin and how much pain it would cause. Now consider the, that the Bible says that on the cross he became sin for us. That he bore all our sins in his body on the tree. That Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, suffered unlike anyone else has ever suffered and will ever suffer consider the fact that he became a curse on the cross the Bible says now it doesn't seem that God feels obligated to answer every question in this age but he clearly knows how to demonstrate love how to empathise and how to suffer and the Bible teaches that through his resurrection a new age will begin A new age, which we'll look at in just a moment. And that that age, which began at Jesus' resurrection, will and is growing, growing, and growing to fruition. An age where there's no tears, or sadness, or death. It's the shocking news the shocking news that all this nasty stuff the Bible calls sin, this, I mean, you know, everything that's nasty in the world, our selfishness our self-preoccupation our bitterness our envy all of that all of that and so much more our lust our murderous anger all of that Jesus took it on and beat it by taking the penalty for it in his body the Bible teaches that there at that point in history power of suffering and sin begun to be undone. We get to see it, obviously, fully worked out, but begun to be undone. And then we get this final scene, if you like, in world history, which we'll look at, which is where God rights all wrongs, forgives the medieval painting I couldn't find. I was trying to look on Google Images for something that would sum it all up, and all did was these medieval images of all kinds of things happening. But what you've got there is an ap- apocalyptic image of the time where... Uh, where God will return. It says, that I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it and from his presence earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. It's an awesome image. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. And another book was opened which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. The Bible speaks of a day where all wrongs will be made right. This is vital. This isn't. This isn't marginal. This isn't like oh an afterthought. Oh yeah, no. This is central. A day is coming where every wrong will be put right. Now, this really, very, very importantly, is the second basis for Christian forgiveness. So, number one, I forgive you if you wrong me. Why? Because I have so wronged Jesus. As that wonderful story from Charlie earlier, where she spoke about her bringing her CV to God. You know, I, all of us, in our, own, in our own ways, have wronged God by the things we think, say and do. Right? So I've so wronged God. And his response to that is to send his one and only son to rescue me and take the penalty for my wrong in his body. Incredible. Why? So I could be forgiven as a gift and made brand new. So that's why I forgive you. Cuz you know that's how I treated God and that's what he did for me. Who am I to hold against you anything? I will forgive you for that reason. The second reason is this is that the Bible teaches that vengeance belongs to God. So I haven't got to get worked up about you know you getting your just deserts or whatever. If you wrong me I'm going to pray that you get right with God and you find forgiveness. But if you don't, then I'm, just going to, I'm, going to, I'm not going to feel in any way motivated to get revenge on you, to come after you. Why? Well, because God's going to deal with that. God will deal with you. Now, this is particularly pertinent to those who have suffered in life. If you've not really suffered much, you can begin to struggle at this point and start thinking, oh, I'm not sure. this sounds a bit, you know, if you've suffered, if you've seen people come into your village and maim your children or rape your wife or kill your family, then this is massively huge. This is a central doctrine the Bible talks about the day where God will come God will return and it won't be some mad guy in the desert saying he's Jesus you haven't got to worry about that Okay, Jesus himself said just like the lightning goes from east to west everyone will see, everyone will know the sky will be rolled up kind of speaking figuratively it's a new order, a new age and the Bible says that when when that moment comes some people will cry out to the rocks and the mountains to fall on them anything rather than face God in his holy anger anything rather than that you see, and so for those of us who have been wrong, this is great news. But the problem is this, is that I've also wronged others. So suddenly it's not so great news. Because <laughs> if, every if everyone's going to be put right, well that's all well and good when I'm the victim. But what about when I'm the perpetrator? And I'm probably the perpetrator daily. Probably. Yeah, in fact I'm sure I am. Even if it's not so much things I do, but things I don't do. What we call sins of omission. Just what I don't love. And I don't serve. And I don't put others first. What about all of that? What about all of that? Well, God in his mercy has made provision for all of that through the cross. And so that's what actually I know. Actually, I know that by God's grace, I'll be able to stand on that day. And he will welcome me into his family. Because Jesus took the penalty for my sins in his body. What I also know, what I also know is this. Every bit of pain that I still struggle with and I still carry everything that makes me limp a bit in life where I think, oh man and there's a lot I know that'll all be healed and I know that'll all be put right because that day is coming and that is a hugely important and central thing God will only judge and destroy those things that threaten to destroy his creation and so the judgement of God is a good thing because the judgment of God, it's a bit like a surgeon that deals with a cancer. It gets to the stuff that's bringing death so that life can flourish. That's the judgment of God. It's a good and a beautiful and a wonderful thing. And so often people say, well why doesn't God just come and sort that out? He will. It's not that he won't. What you're feeling there is a good desire. He will. He will. In one sense you could argue that he has at the cross, and for all those that will run to Jesus for mercy, will find forgiveness. But for those who don't, there's a day coming where he will, where it will be put right. And a new age will start for all those who have received this Jesus, a new age where the Bible says there's no more tears or sadness or pain or death. Brand new heavens and a brand new earth. And it's a beautiful wonderful hope that we live with as believers. We know that that's going to happen. And so that, that is my brief uh, attempt to just try to help you understand the biblical, un, the biblical picture of suffering and how it works. Firstly, that creation makes it clear that there is a God who is powerful and divine. He's not like us. And yet actually something in us tends not to even want to know that. So we, we push it down. But it's clear, it's there. <laughs> the reason why we push it down is because of the fall since Adam and Eve sinned we're all born with that intent in us not to really we don't want to go God's way we want to go our own way we want autonomy that's what we want but actually it's that very bid for autonomy that's caused all the pain and that causes all the pain that we want to be in charge and then God's response to this terrible I guess you call it mutiny or rebellion is to send his one and only son to live, die and be raised again on our behalf So we can we can become brand new in Jesus. And then a day is coming at the end where every wrong will be put right. Now I'm going to answer your questions. Have there been any? Many. (laughs) Oh no. Okay, let's do it. We're gonna do ten minutes of this and then we're gonna just have a chance to respond. Okay.
1: Okay, so there's a few questions around the concept of original sin. Yes. Um why is it that we should inherit Original sin, it was caused by one man at the beginning, Mm -hmm. um, in that inherently we're in an unlevel playing field from there on. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'll do that part first of all. Yeah,
0: original sin causes all kinds of of messes with our head a bit, doesn't it? I totally understand that. Um, I will give you my best answer, and if it's unsatisfactory, please accept my apologies. I'm really happy to look into these things more. I read a book on it recently. The the question is about original sin. Isn't it a bit unfair that there's almost like the starting point is this unlevel playing field, where because of Adam and Eve's sin, apparently that makes we're born sinners because of their sin. Uh, That's not really fair, is it? And uh, it's this whole idea of kind of fairness. I guess the main issue we probably have with it, some cultures wouldn't struggle so much with this because they're much more corporate in their thinking. We think very individualistically. Um, You tend to find that the biblical worldview is much more corporate. So it's like, you know, I said to, I remember, I think my kids asked me this one day, and I said to them, listen, if I ran down the street naked, how would you feel about that? And they were like, that's terrible, you know. I said, why? Why? Why is it so terrible? You know, we're in Kentish Town, for goodness sake. Anything Anything can happen, you know. Why is it so terrible? Well, what's so terrible about it is the association. Yeah? You're my dad. But it's not you. No, but there is this association. It's how life works. It works positively and it works negatively. If I suddenly did something outrageous, really outrageous, and then someone said to you, Are you part of that revelation church? You'd be like, Wow, I've been there a few times, but you know. (laughs) Why? Association. And that's how it works, you see, that's just, that is, that's the building blocks of life, if you like, that's, that's how it goes, that's, God is looking for a big family, that's how family works. And that can be quite alien for us to get our head around, but that is, that's the deal. And so Adam and Eve's sin, is a massive legacy for us, and, uh, and th- that was their role. I guess the, the, the element about it that's encouraging, and you've got to hear this, is this, if their disobedience led to my fallenness and my sin and it's like, well what did I do? well I just started this way it was them and because I'm in Adam a term the Bible uses then I'm kind of born with this yeah in just the same way if I come out of Adam and into Jesus then his perfect obedience and uh, spotless righteousness are given to me in exactly the same way You've got to grasp this, because a lot of Christians don't understand this. They think being a Christian is about trying to get righteous, trying to get good enough for God, trying to pray more. No, being a Christian is about being in Christ, which means you come out of Adam and into Christ. Yeah. So everything that's true of him, his perfection, his righteousness, all of that is given to you as a gift. You say, but I haven't done anything. No, but you're associated with him. Yeah. So all the blessings that Jesus gets, even though Jesus gets eternal life, you get eternal life. Why? Because you went to church? No, because you're in Christ. Yeah. oh you see so everything so that's why I know I'm gonna, I've got eternal life you see how can I say that because I'm in Christ and he's got eternal life but before I was an Adam and that's, only, that's only one lens through which to understand the gospel but it's a very very important lens because it helps you get your foundation right when you realise all of these blessings that God is now pouring into my life this relationship this forgiveness this new start this hope for the future this desire to just live for God all of this has come simply by my association with Jesus and it's all a gift and it just flows and flows and flows and whenever I want to find a reason why God points to Jesus his obedience, his righteousness that's wonderful so actually it, it is a toughie and it's kind of like, oh that's funny but actually it's a massive blessing and it just seems to be biblically that's the way things work the other thing to just say quickly on it is is—is that I am condemned in a sense, called guilty because I'm in Adam but actually I'm also condemned and called guilty because of my sin I choose. When I sin, I choose to sin. I do. Um, it's a choice. There's an internal rebellion in me. It's not just, well, you know, I mean, Adam, actually, you know, and he sinned, and so his guilt becomes mine. Actually, do you know what? There, there's a list as long as a very long arm. <laughs> which is why I I deserve condemnation. And, you know, I think that's, that's there. I can't deny that. And... Um, whether you, whether you believe this whole stuff in Adam or not, whether you, you know, you've got to go back and you've got to look at this. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, that, that um, if we could go back to the last, the last uh, slide, please. Is that okay, Kiana? Um, yeah, this one. The dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they have done. So I'm not going to be... The judgment, in, in, in another sense, is definitely a very clear sense in which it's looking at my life and the way I've lived. So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a complex dynamic. There's the in-Adam thing, and, but it's also I stand before God and give account, not for Adam, they give an account for me. I've got to be really clear on that. So that's the best I can do. I don't pretend that I've answered everything there and that I've cleared up all the mystery, but that's a, probably a fair representation of how the Bible presents it. Romans 5, <laughs> particularly the chapter to unpack that. Okay.
1: Um, a few questions really about suffering in terms of illness, yeah. health. Yeah. Um, why, you know, it's, some Christians see healing, others not, why, why are there such terrible um, things such as cancer about and add to that natural disasters?
0: <laughs> Just throw it in. <laughs> Okay, we do natural disasters first, just because, I just find it interesting that Jesus referred to them. Oh, can you repeat the question? Sorry, it's about, it's the killer question, it's to do with people not getting healed when they've got illness, why cancer, and all of that. Was that particularly about Christians who believe in God, or just everyone generally? Both, okay. And then the other bit was, and Simon just threw in natural disasters at the end, just for the heck of it. So, natural disasters, all I would say on this is that, Jesus referred to earthquakes uh, as Birth pains. Um, and so the Bible teaches that the environment, the cosmos itself, is under futility, under some kind of bondage as a result of human sin. You've got to remember, when God established uh, mankind, Adam and Eve, over creation, it was that they might rule on His behalf. But his behalf, He gave them a very real authority. And when they gave that away through their disobedience, everything went pear shaped. So it wasn't a pretend authority, it was a real authority. God, God made mankind in His image. Why? That they might rule on His behalf, with delegated authority. We gave it away, Through our bidf- we don't want to be with God, we want to do our own thing. We give it away, all goes wrong, including the environment. And so the Bible in Romans 8 talks about the whole of the uh, environment and the cosmos being held under a kind of fut- futile bondage, just crying out, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed, waiting for that day where, you know, those who have been renewed in Christ are revealed and, and the whole of creation, is uh, kind of set free from this bondage into liberty and new heavens and a new earth and all of that. Um, and so and so, Jesus described them I think it's Matthew 24 as birth pains it's creation groaning it's creation groaning under the futility of the curse of sin that it's under um, waiting for that day where it will be set free which is kind of very vivid but I just wanted to make, that, make you aware of the fact that it's not like um, Jesus wasn't aware of such things some people came to Jesus and they said what about that tower that fell on those people were well, the people that, that it fell on any worse sinners than, than the others and Jesus' response is quite like not very politically correct really he just said, well, you know, he said they were any worse sinners than anyone, but unless you repent, you'll likewise perish. Wow, it's not very tender. What's he doing there? He's trying to say, look, you can point to this and you can point to that and you can theorise and hypothesise, you need to get right with God. <coughs> and we are experts at evading the issue. We are experts at putting up smoke screens saying, well, what about Hitler? And what about this? And what about that? And what about tsunamis? What about you? What about you and your heart? What about you and you getting right with God? What about you and your sin? You can't just avoid that. You can't keep pointing there and there because one day you've got to stand before him and give an account for your life. It's really important. So that's the natural disasters thing. It's it's all tied up with sin. And it doesn't mean those people are any worse than anyone else. It doesn't mean that at all. It means we live in a fallen and a broken world. But we mustn't be you mustn't it must that kind of thing mustn't become something that you stumble over so much that you don't actually get to God. That'd be that'd be tragic. Now on the sickness and the healing thing I mean I don't really know. I mean I don't know. Well I know I mean I know sickness is, is basically just premature death. So I know how it came into the world, it came in with sin. Because the Bible says Romans five, death came in with sin. All sicknesses is premature death and so in that sense that's why it's here why do people get healed (sighs) I'm sure there are multiple reasons I'm sure there are you know when when Davina got cancer uh, a couple of years ago and obviously we were just saying God we want that miraculous healing you know really praying for that but it's interesting I remember Davina just saying I'm sure you won't mind first thing she said was I just need to get God's peace on this first I just need peace so we just got the scriptures out and we just came to a place where we just knew the peace of God. Where we were still praying for healing, but we knew whichever way it went, um, you know, we just know we're in His hands. And uh, I think that I would just say to you, if you're a believer and you know the Lord, then just get the peace of God on it first. In that, uh, that sense of, actually at the end of the day, there's loads of things I don't know. <laughs> this is just another one of them. <laughs> Being a Christian is not about knowing everything. It's about trusting Him. It is, isn't it? It's not unreasonable. It's a very reasonable faith, and I think probably provides more answers than any other belief or unbelief on the planet. But it doesn't answer every cre- question. Of course, it doesn't. <coughs> but we came to a place of peace, and you know, God just kind of shepherded us through that. And you know, um, there was no miraculous healing in that sense. But you know, praise God, effective surgery. She's she's fitter and healthier than, and more beautiful than she's ever been. So you know, you just through that stuff. You, just, you can find God, and God is faithful, and God is there in it. And I'll just say to you that if you are in a position where you say, I'm not sure I believe, but I'm really struggling with the illness and that kind of thing, there was a man that was lowered down once, a paralysed man, um, through, through, through the roof of a home, and uh, right in front of Jesus. And the first thing Jesus says to him is, My son, your sins are forgiven. And everyone's starting scratching their head, and How, Who says he can do that? And everyone's getting confused, because it's kind of like, he clearly needs something else. <laughs> you know? But Jesus is like, first things first. First things first, then we'll, and then Jesus did heal him. So I'm not saying, you know, come to know Christ and then he'll heal you. I, I don't want to start making it, but what I do want to say is this, absolutely. That there is healing in Christ, number one. Absolutely believe there is. But also say this, you need to hear more than, first and foremost, your sins are forgiven. So let Jesus speak that into your soul first, then we can start looking at the physical affliction and praying about that. Best I can do. Is that it? Do you have time for more? I don't know. I don't know what time is. It's five plus five. Okay. Okay. This is it not working? No, no, it's just gonna give this the sign. okay, right, yeah. Yeah, we'll do one more.
1: Thank you. Um, so a few questions again around suffering, but um, people suffering in the world they're not christians how do you reconcile that with god's hatred of um, sin and suffering and how's that equal
0: i don't understand the question
1: so um questions where there's there's people suffering some christians some are not right um yes. so those that don't know jesus yes how does how do you reconcile that with god's character firstly we said about hating sin yeah. and and loving
0: yeah so i uh, All of us live in a fallen world. All of us live in a messed up world. Yeah. So I've been bullied. I've been mugged. I've been abused. Yeah. I love Jesus. So you know, it's just it's it's the environment that we're in, and Jesus does not promise to pull us out of this world. He promises to give us all that we need to overwhelmingly conquer in this world. That's His promise. And Jesus sets us an example of one who suffered, so that we can walk through suffering and not lose heart, because the one we follow suffered worse than we ever will. And so in that sense, we're not to be, uh, we're not, we're not to be uh, as Christians, we're not to uh, have this kind of weird understanding that we really going to be some sort of bubble. There will be pressure. There will be trials. There will be confusing things that happen. Absolutely and very often actually what those things will do they will drive you deeper and deeper into God and you will, you know, in some strange way even at some points be grateful because of what it produced you think, wow, this has done something in me that I don't know anything else could have done in me and, uh, and so I, I think I would just say that there is the promise of the new heavens and the new earth and as soon as you start to lose that you start getting funny about this age but I tell you, the Bible writers and the Christians in Bible times they were fixated on that And you find today, Christians who live in situations where they're being opposed and uh, persecuted and all of that, they live fixated on it. Um, And in fact, the Apostle Paul said, if we hope in Jesus only for this life, we're to be pitied more than anyone else. That's interesting, that. Because it kind of flies in the face of this kind of uh, approach to the Christian life in this age, where, I don't know, we just kind of, I don't know, it's kind of like, we just sort of bounce through it. You know, or glide through it, or, you know, we, or we just kind of laugh at everything that might come our way. That's not how the Bible talks about Christians. It says we're, we're, like, we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered all day long. There are things that come our way and we think, I don't know how to deal with this. And we say, God, show me what to do. And in our weakness, He comes to us and makes us strong. And we get through and He's done a work in our hearts. But we're not to be triumphalistic and, and have these expectations that everything's just going to sort itself out. It's not how it goes, it's not how it works it really isn't but, but Jesus said I go to prepare a place for you and that needs to grow stronger and stronger in our hearts it's not you know it, at this point the temptation maybe for some of you that don't believe or whatever or maybe you're just weak in faith you start to say it just sounds so pie in the sky I want to just ask you a question look if it's true then live your life leaning your whole weight on it If it isn't true, forget the whole thing. There's no point coming here and singing songs every week if this isn't true. It's nonsense. Take up a hobby on a Sunday afternoon. (laughs) Eat and drink, because tomorrow you die. Okay? Just, if it is true, start living like it. I want to end by just giving opportunity for two parties of people um, to to just get right with God. The first party, those who, you might say you're a Christian or a believer, but actually you're... we have that first slide up again? God in the dock. This is you a bit. You're kind of judging God, fundamentally. And you know that it's just, there's a silence in it. And the silence is because you're judging God. And you need to repent of it because it's just really arrogant and you don't really know much at all. He knows everything. And, and you can't relate, you can't have a relationship with God like that. You just can't. So I want to give you a chance just to say, you know what? I want to get right with God. I want to say sorry. I've, I've got that in my spirit. That's, in me. That's me. And secondly, for those of you who you just think, actually, do you know what? You're not really sure. You Either you know for sure that you've never actually said, Jesus, I want to... Want to follow you, or or maybe you, you know you're just not sure. Maybe you've had some church experience and some things and some emotional moments, but actually you don't know. You don't know that you're a disciple, and you want to be a disciple. You want to you want to start you want to start that journey. In that, if you like, you want to cross that line of faith and say, Jesus. I want to just start, I want to follow you now. I really want to do that. Because if you're in either of those camps, we want to be able to stand with you and pray with you. And while we do bread and wine now, and, um, and just sing a few more songs, we want to just have a chance to just stand with you at the back and pray with you, encourage you, advise you, just help you. Okay? No one's going to lean on you. No one's going to coerce you. We just want to hear you and stand with you and pray with you and help you find the Lord in it.